Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have the archivist of YouTube. I know him as Ben, analog with Ben. Ben does something very unique on YouTube. He reads old newspapers. Why is reading and going through newspapers, especially newspapers around the turn of the 20th century, why is that so important? Well, as we become neutered intellectually, as we've been kind of forced into this one way of seeing the world, the neat thing that every single old newspaper had was it had a regional flavor to it. My grandfather told me when I was a young man, he said, whenever you go to a new town, first thing you should do is go to a local diner, grab a newspaper, read the newspaper from front to back, even look at the obituaries. And he said that will give you the, the tenor and tone of the area that you're in. And he was a very wise guy, even though he only had like a fifth grade education. He did very well for himself. He had common sense like that. Ben has been doing that digitally. He's he's a master at being able to go through through huge data sets and uh, pulling out the pearls that are in these data sets through these old newspapers. This particular interview, we got to know the heart of Ben, <laughs> which was really my intention. There's tons of his work out there that really is more, uh, I guess you would say, uh, data-driven. It's mo much more of a uh, information set that will you know, get the gears turning. This particular interview, I wanted people to get to know Ben. And, and I don't know whether or not to call him Ben Analog or the Archivist. Let's just call him the Archivist. Because he does such excellent work, I wanted people to actually understand the heart of the matter, where he's coming from and why he's doing what he's doing. As the Merovingian said, you, you don't have anything unless you have the why. <laughs> so in this particular interview, you'll get to know the why of uh, his research. And um, it was kind of beautiful. I didn't know this, but he and I are both in our endeavor so that the little ones, our little ones can actually have uh, information that isn't so highly polluted by those that would harm us. So hope you enjoy this, this podcast with Ben and I will see you on the other side. Today, our guest is Ben Ben, also known as the Archivist on YouTube. How you doing, Ben? Good. Thanks for hey. having me, Chris. Oh, my pleasure. I I really enjoyed our talk with Longo the other day, and I've been pretty much swimming in your videos for about the last six months. So um, I really believe that what you're doing with going through all these old newspapers is is something that is so wonderful because getting the local perspective from you know beat writers to me is uh, one of the ways that could ensure that there's a much uh, 
I guess you would say a, a less um, sanitized view of history. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, just kind of a backstory. Um, I don't know if you've heard this in previous interviews, but I've only really talked about it one time. But um, when I was younger in middle school, I found a, a bomb on my school property. I did not know that. <laughs> I was doing like a, a group clean. My mother, she lived a block away from the school. And we were cleaning up the road, you know, just kind of doing stuff as a neighborhood. And I picked up this bag and I was like, what the hell is this thing? And uh, I didn't even think about it. And we had this huge pile and I came back to it later. And I was like, this thing is really weird. And uh, I showed it to my best friend at the time's uh, father. And he was like, holy, he freaked out, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he took it away and, and you know, it was probably another few minutes before he even explained what he thought it was long story short the police came the bomb squad came and they blew it up on the school premise and uh there was a huge the whole neighborhood had gathered around because you know you don't see a bomb squad truck like ever you know Mm -hmm. i grew up out in the suburbs of portland and so the whole neighborhood knew what was going on and i was in the newspaper news people you know they didn't come out but they called me over the phone. They did a whole interview. And then I was announced at school. I was kind of like this uh, uh, hero for a day in a way. Mm. And um, so like fast forward, probably 20 years, maybe 15 years, I was telling this story. Um, and my friends at the time didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't have the clipping anymore. She had it on the fridge for probably 10 years, you know, and then I think she got a new fridge and who knows. Long story short, I had to go to a arc. I had to go to a, a records department downtown, to uh, the newspaper at the time, which was closed, and I managed to find the article, mm-hmm. and um, it was still like halfway between digital and analog at the time, mm-hmm. so it took it was quite a chore. But through the process, I found other people around the country that had found bombs, and you know, because that was kind of the topic I was looking for. Anyway, so that kind of sparked it all off. And then I found, I subscribed to my newspaper's digital. You could pay a monthly fee at the time and and search their archive digitally. It was mm-hmm. horrible at the time. The software was, was really awful. And, uh, you know, the keywords were just so poor. It's like one word basically is all you had. And, you know, narrowing anything down mm-hmm. with one word is really difficult. Uh, but as the technology has gotten better, I've used them more and more. And as I've stepped into this kind of uh, this kind of counter um, information world, it's been a huge uh, blessing and kind of a breath of fresh air. Because like you said, um, you're getting beat writers there. You know, these people are making pennies on the dollar. They're doing it because they enjoy it. You know, none of these people are making a living doing this, especially Mm -hmm. in these small towns where a lot of the really good stuff is. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And, after kind of doing it for myself and, and my close friends and um, St- Stellium is someone that you've talked to and we've been friends for a very long time. Um, and we, our friendship grew because we shared similar ideas. And then over that period of time, just because of things I was interested in, I amassed this huge kind of obsessive collection <laughs> of newspaper clippings. And uh, after being persuaded by some friends over a long period of time, I decided that I would start, um, making it more of a thing that I share with the public and kind of what I've learned 
from the process. And yeah, so here we are. Fast forward. That's that's awesome. I, one thing I noticed is with the local papers, the local flavor is indicative of that particular area of at that time. Absolutely. One of the things that I really appreciate from with your work, my my great my grandfather was an old Tennessee boy, and he grew up in a very small town, but ended up be doing very well for himself. And he always told me, he was like, Christopher, whenever you go to a new town, the very first thing you do is you go get the newspaper, you go to a local diner, and you read the newspaper from front to back. And you sit you sit there until you're done reading it. So you get to know what the, the, feel, meat, for the, town is. the feel for that is. Yeah. And I thought that was a very astute thing. Even as a young man, I was like, oh, that, that's, that's pretty cool. And I also noticed... I grew up in sports and I always noticed the local beat writers were so much more accurate than like when ESPN came of course, on. Yeah. They got the uh, finger on the pulse as they say. Yeah. And like watching all like the, the, the gist, the absolute horrible writing on like USA today and ESPN and stuff like that. They had zero nuance. Yeah. The corporate writing has just gotten worse over time. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> And so, but when you listen, when I would listen or read the the beat writers for all these different teams, you could really kind of make much better predictions of what was going to happen. They 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 kind of knew the team. They 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 had the emotional investment. So, in a lot of the times when you're going through reading these different uh, these papers, I, it kind of reminds me of that. I get the I get my my Piscean side gets the feel of the time which is really neat. Yeah. And I've done this so long now that kind of like you're saying, um, I almost like step into that world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, as a, uh, an obsessive reader, um, that's always been, I've just loved reading since I was very little, since the first, you know, first time I could really turn a whole book. Mm-hmm. It was like, how much, how much, how much, how much, you know, mm-hmm. and as in my adult life with, you know, three little boys and, and a marriage and, you know, full-time job. And it's, uh, that's still the number one thing that I do is, is try to read to just ingest information. Um, and you know, you mentioned when our discussion today, we were talking about, uh, kind of our backgrounds and, um, in, uh, 2007, I had a motorcycle accident mm. and, uh, broke my back and was nearly paralyzed and had an out-of-body experience during what kind the accident. Of, what kind of motorcycle did you have? I had a Kawasaki. The I had many at the time, but the bike I had a, the accident on was a, a Ninja 600RR. Oh, dude, I had a Jixer 600RR. Yeah, I've, I've had a Jixer. And mm-hmm. I was a dirt bike guy and a dual sport guy. Mm-hmm. Especially as I got older, I got off of the crotch rocket. I'm a tall, I'm 6'4". So mm-hmm. fitting on one of those is like pretty much impossible. Yeah. So it looked awkward. It's very uncomfortable for long rides. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you know, I was 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I almost, I was almost paralyzed. I had no feeling on the left side of my body for several years. Mm. And uh, slowly the nerves came back online. You know, I was told I would never regain feeling in the left side. And then I was lucky to walk. So that was like all the side effects. I was lucky. Anyways, long story short, I had an out-of-body experience, and it took about a year to recover mm-hmm. from that. 
and all I did was read. I was like, I want to figure out what this was that I experienced. Um, essentially, as the accident progressed, I floated out of my body mm-hmm. and watched my physical body go through the entire experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ambulance arriving, people on the scene. Uh, there was this Hawaiian gentleman, big guy, who was behind me on the road who came upon, who saw it happening. Essentially, I was on a long, curvy road just like a mile from my house. And um, I remember him holding my hand and being mm-hmm. there when I got sucked back in mm-hmm. to my body and tried to sit up. I put my elbows down, but I had broke my, you know, I had broke so many bones. And as soon as I did that, I could like feel everything jiggling Oof. around, you know, and uh, yeah, he was telling me to stay down. And anyways, I tried to figure out what that was. And um, I just became obsessed with near death experiences and out of body experiences mm-hmm. and the difference between dream state and wake state and all these things. And, uh, I carried that kind of into kind of in a way that was the start of my journey as far as like taking a new look at life. Mm -hmm. And because I had very little interest at before then about anything like that, you know, I was (laughs) a 20 year old wild boy, you know, Mm -hmm. um, living on the edge in a sense, you know, very risky life. And, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, drinking a lot and, you know, but yeah, so that changed my life. I think that was a big pivot in my life. And mm-hmm. um, I still haven't really slowed down since I'm still obsessed with consciousness. And yeah. Did your soul pierce the veil or did you just bilocate? Were you? Were no, you just... bilo- I, I didn't see God. I didn't see beans. I didn't, uh, I didn't leave the firmament or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most powerful feeling was peace. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I saw my body was in this horrible accident, mm-hmm. there was no like emotion, if that makes sense. I yes. wasn't like, oh my goodness, what's happening at all? Right. That didn't exist. It was just completely like there was almost no emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like a universal understanding. I don't really know how to explain it besides that there was no shock or confusion and it that all came in like a huge rush as i like literally got a vacuum sucked back in so basically as my consciousness came back in and my physical body woke up that was when it was like you know pain was at you know 10 out of 10 or 12 out of 10 and and it was weird it was this interesting um i had a lot of dreams not near-death experience dreams, but out-of-body kind of dreams where I would see myself sleeping um, or come to the realization that I was in some kind of dream state in my dreams. Mm-hmm. And that was like the the bridge. Like I saw, okay, so there is, as far as like me really knowing it, because, you know, as a, as a kid, if you don't have anyone that you like kind of look at as a mentor or you haven't read good material, you don't, you kind of spend your life not even asking what dream state is. Right. It's just part of life. You're just like, this is what we do. We dream while we sleep. Mm-hmm. And my parents weren't, um, they had very little interest in anything other than working hard and paying the bills. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it uh, sounds like our grandfathers were very similar. My grandfather came from a tiny town in Georgia and I have family in Tennessee as well. And he uh, was one of 10 on a farm mm-hmm. and he did very well for himself and was like one of the hardest working guys ever. And he was just, he reminds me of you actually a little bit. He was just 
super easy to talk to, always had a smile and everybody liked him, you know, mm-hmm. no chip on his shoulder. Um, but yeah, small town feel. I, mm-hmm. I remember going to visit my family in the South and loving every minute of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my mom, you know, she ended up in Oregon away from her entire family with my father. And I felt like that was like where I belonged. If that makes sense. Like the South has always held my heart. And, uh, you know, I took my wife and my kids there a few times and she's kind of like fallen in love with, with the South too. We've contemplated uh, moving to Georgia a few times. Yeah. We contemplated moving to Northern Georgia. We have friends there and it's really, it's beautiful. The culture there in Northern Georgia near Tennessee is a lot yep. of, it's, it's the speed of it's very nice. It's like, exactly. You, yeah. you summed it up perfectly. The speed of it, you know, yeah. there's no, there, it's like, there were no stoplights until like the last 10 or 15 years, you know, it was all mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, assumed stop signs and, you know, stop signs are a 30 year, uh, and a new thing. And, uh, yeah, everyone's really, it's super mellow out there. You know, yeah. it seems like the sun moves slower too. Like the days are longer and definitely my summer yep. memories there are incredible. That's wonderful. Well, maybe your family knew the Walker clan that was up there about two. We, the Walker clan, my grandfather's family was about midway up Tennessee, but just on the North Carolina, Tennessee border. So in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of the reason why I resonate with your work so much was I grew up with him telling me that there were giants in his town. They dug up a giant on, on a local farm field, a 50 foot, like the actual bones and everything. He said, I never, I never saw the picture, but he said the, the local paper there had, had a picture of him as a 10 year old boy holding the femur and a femur was larger than he was. Wow. And he was a, he was a Christian man. He believed in the Bible. So for him, that was like, not a big deal. Like it wasn't ever. Yeah, it there was, were giants it, in those days. Yeah. yeah. So for him, it was just like, nope, son, there's giants. And me, it was my progressive conditioning, you know, as a kid in the eighties and nineties, I was like, oh, granddad's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, and, and we've, you've mentioned radium and a few other things and petrifaction and stuff like that. But giants, I think was, is probably the deepest um collection of mine giants Mm -hmm. um i've scoured every state and you know over the last few years i would i would basically milk a um a state dry so to so to say Mm -hmm. and then i would subscribe for one month to the next state's paper because Mm -hmm. the federal um database is pretty good but it's missing on average 30 percent and so you have to kind of go with the state, um, the state archive and some of the states have really amazing search engines where you can search like a whole paragraph mm-hmm. or a whole sentence. Whereas the federal one, you can only get away with like two words, but anyways, the giants thing, I would say that was like what kicked off probably my first, like, I got to start sharing this stuff, uh, mm-hmm. moment was giants. And yeah, you know, I'm, I just finished my 12th episode of, uh, my anomalous America series. And I think I have giants in every state, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, buried cities, giants and petrified tropical trees and 
giant trees and i say that's like kind of the so what are the implications because i'm sure you heard the interview with stellium seven like i have my own thoughts about what all that is but i would like to have your perspective because i don't really know what your cosmology is you're very good at going through the information and i've probably gone through maybe i would say a third of your videos but i don't know actually what your worldview is I yeah i try to i try to stay um i don't want to say third party but kind of in the gray area just because i'm one of those guys that feels the more i know the less i know right and yeah the newspapers remind me of that all the time you know and um but i i feel like i've done this before that Mm -hmm. was one of my big feelings with uh the accident i went through and that i'm here to kind of improve in a sense yes i have a strong feeling that this is a a bit of a simulation Mm -hmm. in a sense um that's kind of a creation um consciousness you know as science it gets more advanced you have to you know chew the meat and spit out the bones so to say when it comes to science and you know what these universities and these um scholars are telling us but um that's kind of another beautiful thing is you know the kind of scientific renaissance so to say was like 1870 through like 1920 and they were way more open and it wasn't so tight-lipped and as it is today kind of like everything but yeah um this is kind of like a proving ground, so to say. And right. um, the old adage that struggle and suffering is like the best thing for the soul is kind of true for me and my, my, um, my background, you know, uh, my father was an alcoholic and I had a lot of anger and mm-hmm. kind of like, why would God do this to me? You know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of cut God off, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like I felt like I was being punished, but as I, you know, grow older and my father passed away almost 10 years ago. And, um, that's been a big aha moment for me too, is I feel like I'm kind of a piece of him. That's the funny thing about having children and, you know, with three boys, I see a little bit of me and they're all three are very different. And uh, it's just like these kind of cut, you're cutting off a piece of yourself, essentially. And, you know, it's like trees, you know, for someone who spends so much time in the field. You know, I had a little farm. I had six acres for about 10 years. And uh, I had uh, walnuts and all kinds of apples, pears, every vegetable you can imagine. We raised goats. We raised geese. We raised chickens. Uh, had a little creek that bisected the property. It was it was dream. It was the heaven on earth. But you know, when you start having kids, that's like, and I work full time. It was insane. I was running myself ragged. You know, I was the land took about three hours a day on a good day, and then I, you know, I was working nine hours or more a day, and then trying to raise a kid. It was just too much. And the house we lived in was over a hundred years old. It was nine hundred square feet. You know, the bedrooms were big enough for a bed. Right. And, and you could like that was it. You know. That's mm-hmm. how they designed things back then. Just you, you weren't supposed to be in the house all day. Nope. You know, 
it was like, look, this is when it's raining or snowing, you're in the house. Other than mm-hmm. that, you're outside. You know? Exactly. But uh, yeah, so I love the land. I love being outside. And but yeah, getting back to what I was uh, saying about, you know, my look on life is that just like growing fruits and vegetables or raising land or raising animals. Um, there's something about like giving yourself away in your labors mm-hmm. and this life is kind of like symbolic to me of that in a bigger picture that you're kind of a smaller piece in a bigger puzzle essentially. Mm-hmm. And I kind of do have the feeling that we're all in this together. And the idea of you being your own um, intelligence I, that feeling was gone when I had that out of body experience. Like I didn't identify as myself. If that makes right. sense. I knew yes. the body that I was watching was my body, but I didn't feel like that was me. That makes right. sense. And after reading tons of material about, you know, drug induced out of body experiences versus people that had near death experiences, mm-hmm. that was like one of the most common. Um, that was like baseline for this mm-hmm. experience for people was they felt very comfortable and safe Mm -hmm. and at peace and they weren't in a big rush to to get back in the physical realm i fought i fought it (laughs) oh so you've been there before wow i was much young i was much younger i was four years old so my my consciousness was of a four-year-old it wasn't it wasn't of a 20-year-old so i was i was a brat i did not want to come back yeah yeah and you can remember that though. So that's powerful. Yeah. My memories start when I was in the crib because I remember being in a crib trying to get out of it. Yeah. And there's a story. My mother loves telling the story that I disassembled the crib. Yeah. Like I, I took the screws out of the crib and, and like told the door off. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and I had memories of lightning storms in my young life. Cause I grew up in Florida and the lightning storms as like a little kid were just like so magical. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I was pretty sick before my body, before, you know, I flatlined and I remember the lead up to that. And then I remember being on the other side and just being, like you said, I was just, completely at peace i wasn't in pain like there was no physical sensation yeah per se but there was an immersion of peace and just like just like i i tell people it's like liquid love like it's the feeling of being fully supported yeah it's like being held by your mom that's kind of how i describe it yeah a hundred percent support and i never i didn't at that age i didn't remember feeling that in my body ever yeah. So I was like, I don't like I heard this voice and it says, Christopher, it's not your time. You have to go back. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and then I heard it again. And then that my guardian angel, she she essentially let me hear my mother cry. And then when I could hear my mom cry, I dropped back into my body. Yeah. Good story. At least you can remember it. I know a lot of people that don't, you know? Yeah. Um, it's weird. Have Have you found that you're a magnet for other people that have had the out-of-body crazy? No, no. Um, I, I'd say I'm a pretty social person. You know, uh, you know people kind of get a, a, the wrong idea about me 
because I'm a bit stoic, you know, in my presentations and how I talk in the microphone. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, not really. Um, I don't tell that story to many people. And when it comes up, people are like super surprised, Mm -hmm. you know, like my whole half, my body's steel, you know, I had a lot of reconstruction and, um, so like every once in a while it'll come up where someone's talking about, you know, like having a surgery or something specific. And you know, I'll be like, I got, you know, they call me the million dollar man, you know, yeah. cause I always make that joke. I love comic books and, mm-hmm. um, did you yeah. ever see the movie airplane? Yeah, of where, course. Where the guy's going through the middle detector. Yeah. And that's real take life. His arm off and his leg. That's real life for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have to every single time. Yeah. It's this. I was like, I got plates all from ankle to, to neck. So, so how's your but body yeah. doing now with all that metal in you? Like what's amazing. What, yeah. I feel better than I did when I was 20. Mm-hmm. The first, the first five years were really hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, shortly after, um, I had my, I had an appendicitis mm. I've come to find out all the anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Anesthesia is really hard on your body. I had no idea. You know, I self-taught my, I learned this down the road. And actually my surgeon, who was a friend of my mom's, my orthopedic, he was like, look, your son for his age has had weight. He's gone under way too many times. He's like, you gotta, and no one had even said this to me or my mother. Mm -hmm. He's like, you gotta, you gotta start counting like surgeries. He's like, he should not be, he's, he's, this is too much. He's like, the anesthesia stays in your body for months. And you're basically taking the body and and putting it right on the edge of death. Yeah. And this the the chemicals they use stay in your system for a very long time. Now I wouldn't go as far as to say that caused my organ failure, but I would say it contributed because it was less than a year later, mm-hmm. and four surgeries or so of of long, you know, eight hours or more. Um. Then my appendix ruptured and I had a guy going into sepsis mm-hmm. and I, same thing, 105 degree temperature. Um, I had suffered from, so I was born lactose intolerant and my mother didn't breastfeed. So I was on soy for yeah. three years and it just poisoned me. Yeah. yeah. Poisoned me. I had all kinds of um, intestinal problems. Yeah. My stomach is very... I wouldn't say very sensitive, but I'm cautious. Mm-hmm. And um, the the appendicitis did a number on me. And my mom just thought I was having you know stomach problems because every once in a while, like once a year, I'd get a serious intestinal problem. You know, I'd get sick. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just like, you're just having a stomach flu. And... Um, Long story short, she's like, you know, this has gone on for almost a day, a day at this point. I was having, I was hallucinating. She took my temperature. She's like, holy shit. <laughs> and I was 104 at, when she took my temperature. By the time I got to the hospital, I broke 105. I was, I had been hallucinating for a day or so. Um, You know, that would have killed me if I was in any other country. You know, they rushed me in the hospital, cut that thing mm-hmm. out. Um, It infected my stomach. And, but long story short, I had always been sensitive to drugs. Mm-hmm. um pain pain pills especially narcotics and i just hated it but mm-hmm. my pain levels were so horrible after the accident that i was you know i was on pain pain meds every day and i was on nerve agents because i had really horrible spasms because mm-hmm. i had done so much damage to my spinal column 
my vertebrae had kind of compacted on the left side and they mm-hmm. were leaning over and they were, I had pinched nerves all up and down my back. So I had muscle spasms all the time and it was horrible. It's like a Charlie horse in your back, you yeah. know, and it goes all the way around your ribs and up your shoulders. And with the steel, my body mm-hmm. would, didn't like the steel, you know, your yeah. body kind of fights it. So I had a whole issue of problems. I was taking a lot of narcotics for years. I was sick all the time. Um, and I was just like really thinking, how am I ever going to, you know, get off this stuff? Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, here we are fast forward. Almost you know, it's, it's kind of interesting about the being on, on the, um, what was the drug, the anesthetics, you know, what the actual functionary aspect of anesthetic does to your system? No. What? It turns off the electrical potential of water. Wow. That makes sense. And so water is memory. So I could see your whole body of work, your corpus of going through the memory of the world, going through the memory of the United States is in a way bioenergetically healing all that, that trauma that you receive from the anesthetic. Because to me, water is memory. I know when I get super dehydrated, I go stupid. Same here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah, water is everything. You know, what are we when we die? You know, we're just dehydrating slowly, right? That's yeah. aging. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I feel better than I did then. Wonderful. So I'm almost 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't take anything. Um, I have a pretty holistic look at life. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is Mormon. I've said this before, but, and she, she lives a very clean life. She has her entire life. She's never ingested chemicals, um, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, drugs, alcohol, nothing. And at the point in my life, you know, I, I obviously I believe in, I don't believe in coincidences. You know, my father was an alcoholic and he eventually killed him. And, um, so yeah, I've, I've been completely sober for a decade now and feel better than I felt in my early twenties. And That's I wonderful. have no, I have no pain, uh, no spasms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very blessed because, you know, and I get the least amount of sleep I've ever gotten in my life Yeah, <laughs> with three little kids. Three so, kids will do that. Oh man. Yeah. We're trying to wean the, my one-year-old just turned two a few weeks ago and we're Congrats. trying to get him. We're trying to give the mom mom a break and wean them off, but it's now with a Mormon with a Mormon wife. Does she want like eighteen kids? Actually, I am the one that wants <laughs> as many kids. She's she's pretty much done. She's like, look, you only make boys. I really, <laughs> I really, really want a girl, and um, but she's like, if we have another boy, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. So, well, you need to get a little bit fat. So what I've noticed in in my in my clientele, <laughs> the, the skinny tall guys, they always have boys because their testosterone's higher. And it's always it's always the pudgy guys like me that have the girls because our estrogen... I've never heard that before. I've heard yeah. all in between, you know, like no, you gotta do it this time of year and it needs to be it needs to be warmer outside, warm temperatures make boys, cold temperatures make girls. I've heard all kinds of stuff, but I've never heard what you said. That that no. makes more sense to me. I've had, you know, in my massage business, I've probably worked on about, I would say 
2,000 women and probably like 800 guys throughout the last 25 years. And without fail, if a man is at a certain body fat, like a low body fat percentage for his particular dosha, for his particular constitution. Yeah. He'll have, if, if the wife gets pregnant, they're going to have a boy. Interesting. Like if I see, if I see a certain level of vascularity in a man, given his dosha, I'll be like, if, if I can see the vascularity, I know that they're going to have a boy. Oh, yeah, that's great. I've never heard that before. That makes more sense to me than all the other silly things I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my body fat's never broken. I don't know, 18% in my life. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And being very tall, all my boys are super lean and super tall. Yeah. Makes sense. My wife is a super short mm-hmm. Swedish redhead. That's awesome. So it's quite it, a difference. You know, I'm like over a foot taller than her. In the, in this area, Missouri, we have a lot of transplanted Mormons here, and uh, they all, you know, four or five kids per per family is the norm. Oh yeah, I love. Uh, I grew the. I just again, no coincidences. I was just drawn to the to Mormons. I I had a ton of Mormon friends growing up. And coming from a dysfunctional house, um, going kind of connecting the dots again back to the south. My mother's side, the southern side, the love is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like everything about the south. The, not only was the family really strong, the love was so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's side was broken. Tons of a drug, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. There was no family. And they were all uh, Austrian, Polish immigrants so they were they weren't on their homeland Mm -hmm. they were forced here by war um so i always not only you know i long for being in the south with my wife my mom's family it just Mm -hmm. is like that's what i wanted and i wanted more kids i wanted a big family you know Mm -hmm. because i only have one sister and our house was just a mess and my dad was a mess and i i just was always drawn to Luckily, you know, I, again, I don't believe in coincidence, but I've always just been really good at choosing good friends. Mm-hmm. And I kind of bat up in my friends. I pick people of a better continence than myself. And uh, I just remember kind of being that 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 uh, red flag for these families, you know, because, they, you know, I played a ton of sports that so everyone knew who my dad was. He was very outspoken. He was an asshole, you know, and they're like, oh, you're hanging out with Ben, you know. And their families were amazing. Like, I loved prayer. I loved how serious they took dinner. They were involved in everybody's life, you know, and I loved the big families. And, uh, yeah, so just, of course, you know, you are you bring into your life what you focus on. And uh, I was just always something I was attracted to. And, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if I had more time and more money, you know, my wife's a stay-at-home mom, um, and that's 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 a huge blessing for us, but... Yeah, I never say never. I hope to have at least one or two more, but three seems like so much right now. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's that's three. I mean, more than likely we're gonna go for number two here. We I, I got a very late start in life just because I believed all the UNBS till about age 37. Yeah. And then I was I was introduced to, do you know who uh, General Burt Stubblebine is? No, no, I don't. Uh, I would he, never forget that name. 
Yeah, yeah. He was apparently the general that started the remote viewing program for the army for the military. In, oh, really? In the late, uh, yeah. You know Ingo Swan. You heard that name? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Penetration, his book, one of my favorite books. Um, but yeah, I love the remote viewing stuff. Ingo Swan's yeah. writings are fantastic, but I've never heard that name. Yeah, General Burt, um, I ended up meeting him in Panama. I was living in Costa Rica, and I I just happened to come across his wife's coffee shop. And I was having wow. coffee, and we just started talking, and the near-death experience thing came up. Because when he was training people for remote viewing, they found out of the ten or 12,000 cadets that they were trying to see who could actually remote view what they found the six the six people that could remote view they only shared two attributes and those two attributes were one they saw unidentified lights in the sky without drugs or anything they could just see lights that other people couldn't see and the second thing was that they had all died and come back crazy yeah and so he and I had this great connection because I did have the near death experience and I do see unidentified lights in the sky. <laughs> and so we were talking about that and he's the one that like totally brought to my attention, the whole thing with agenda 21. Yeah. And so when I saw that the, the historicity with agenda 21 went back to the, the, these, these, uh, groups that were essentially trying to depopulate the world through taking over through social engineering. Mm -hmm. The number one way they like to depopulate is just to tell you don't populate. <laughs> it, yeah. it, if you populate, you're bad. Or if you populate, you know, the the resources will run out, all those types of things. And I really believe that. So when I got to see the papers that he was giving me that were like straight from the horse's mouth, and it was just like, no, this is all social programming. None of this is true. Yeah. You know, the only the only thing that's actually harming harming the world are these like really, really large transnational forces that you yeah. having kids won't won't hurt anything. In fact, it will help. And that yeah. re that released me from that spell. Like at age I went through three, the same thing. Yeah. I think age, I think a lot of the people that, you know, I don't want to I hate using to say the truth or community or whatever you want to call it. People that are, are self-taught or self-thinking. Um, that's that's just a part. That's one of the stages. And there's all these stages that we all have to go through, and you get stuck in some of them. Some mm -hmm. people are stuck in, you know, the the fear stage. I was definitely there. I definitely thought, like, why would I want to bring kids in? Like once you push through the weight, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the proverbial movie, um, they see or they you know, where they, mm -hmm. he wears the glasses and he sees everything as it is. Right. I, I think that that's the kind of the, that's the metaphor that I like to use is that once you put them on, you can't take them off. You mm -hmm. always see things how they are, not how they're supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't put them on anybody else. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that comes with that is this like really burdening weight of fear and anger. Mm -hmm. And once you, blast through that you never look back and i think kids are a huge part of that you know having talks like this with someone that i think we share a lot of things in common children's like for me one of the most important mm -hmm. and i think you have to bust through a bunch of barriers 
as a kind of a truther again, or whatever you want to call yourself, um, self-thinking, self-taught to then have children's like really amazing. Yes. And, um, I, I do believe it's one of the things we're meant to do. Yeah. Like as a requirement almost. And I, I respect people that don't want to have kids. That's, you know, if you don't think you can do it or want to do it, you shouldn't, of course. And, uh, but yeah, um, it's the best thing that I have going for myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I see your little girl running around in the background and it's, yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, nothing fit, like makes me want to cry in a good way or have that, you know, that great emotional feeling more than just thinking or looking at your kids. Yes. It's I like agree. a portal into that same state that I was discussing where I left my body. Yeah. Like looking in your, looking at your kids and seeing yourself they're like this kind of weird i don't know it's like you you see yourself obviously genetically but Mm -hmm. there's something more to it you know metaphysics metaphysics wise and um but yeah i went through the whole fear thing and the gen 21 thing and i i heard you say i can't remember what show it was maybe it was with longo or it was stellium I now realize that we live in a world of pure abundance. Pure abundance. And the, and the trick is to make us think that things are scarce. Yes. There's a, there's endless love. There's endless light. Mm. There's endless food, sort resources. Everything, ever, it's all endless. It is. And when you really feel that inside, you're, you'll never be scared to have kids or raise them in this world. I think the Agenda 21 stuff, going back to what I was saying, kind of early on that i didn't really get too much detail talking about how i kind of see the world um and the kind of uh simulation part of it Mm -hmm. i think that's a big piece of it things have to be hard there have to be struggles there have to be things that push against you there has Mm -hmm. you can't evil and love are two faces of the same being Mm -hmm. no matter what no matter how you look at it and you can't know love and your children and their touch without not having their touch or love or absence of love or pain in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what I was touching on with my childhood, mm-hmm. with what, a, how I grew up and now how I'm raising my children. There's like the, always this dichotomy. There's always the reverse of whatever you're feeling. Yes. And, but yeah. Um, it also for me, for me, it's it's softened the blow of my judgments that I had towards my parents. Same here. Yeah, I love my dad and I miss him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was lucky enough to forgive my father and come to peace with him before he passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, thank goodness. And that's a big piece to my puzzle is that um, despite all the pain I had as a kid and anger, especially, you know. Mm-hmm. that I don't take any of it back. All of those things made me who I am. And if I could bring him back for a day to see his grandchildren, you know, I would do it in a second. So I think uh, letting go and not holding on to things, especially painful things, and just seeing them for what they are is really, really, it's a kind of that transmutation part of life. You know, you see it in nature as I did, you know, raising a bunch of animals. It's amazing the love you can feel for a goat or a goose. I mean, yeah. I love my I love my geese. Like I love my kids. It was it was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like and you can do that with anything. You know, I yeah. love spiders. 
in raising my boys, you know, there's like, I have to explain to them, you know, I've always loved reptiles and creepy crawly things. And mm -hmm. I would always save worms and, and, uh, yeah, I've always had a real strong love for animals and, and the creatures of this realm. And I, I'm grateful for that because it helped me through some dark times in my life. Yeah. The, the connection with animals, like I, I just got adopted by a dog, this beautiful golden retriever. So I was doing my little morning walk jog routine and this golden retriever was running after these cars and I was trying to get him not to die because <laughs> yeah. he's just a, a big, dumb golden retriever. And he just kept attacking the tires of these cars and he wouldn't let me touch him. But I was doing enough to like get him away from, you know, getting hit by a car. And there was only three cars that he came close to. He followed me home and now he adopted our family. And now he's like our boy. Like he's just this beautiful you know, big, stupid golden retriever. And it's like the love was instantaneous. Yeah. The second he leaned on me, I'm such a sucker for a leaner. You know, yeah. whenever you have a big animal that leans on you, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a, uh, old English sheep dog and mm -hmm. she thinks she weighs five pounds and, you know, sits <laughs> in your lap and she's a leaner big time. She'll like push you over. She like tries to lean on the little kids, you know, Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's always knocking them over i think that's yeah. the best. that's awesome animals are a big part of it for sure well uh thank you so much for for sharing the the deeper side of 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 you know what you've gone through to get to this point yeah what actually what actually prompted you to like do media like what actually got you on that path um you know friends like stellium you know, watching him, I met him without knowing that he did YouTube or anything, you know, and, um, I had another good friend who was friends with him coincidentally. And, uh, his name was Victor. Uh, he's a Dane. Um, I, the great Danes. I co-hosted, uh, um, a YouTube show or it was a radio show, but we put it on YouTube as well called radio Tartary. This mm -hmm. was like four years ago now. Um, and I just, this is when I started to step out and, and kind of share, you know, as a obsessive reader, I had kind of built an image of, of what I thought history was in my head and felt confident enough to kind of join a forum. And then I met people through that and mm -hmm. it was like a, it wasn't Tartarian themed. It was just revisionist history type themed, you know, like events that had happened, um, especially in the early years of America. Yes. And as uh, with family in the South, the Civil War, there were a lot of I had a lot of questions about the Civil War and, you know, going to, to, to Civil War monuments all the time. And um, it kind of started it? What there. is your opinion of the Civil War? Because I have so many mixed I mean, the one thing I go through in history, maybe you could help help me with this, is there's no way the numbers work with the numbers of deaths that they say would happen. Because I'm somewhat decent with statistics. Yeah. And so like right now, we're told in the world, like Japan will, will cease to exist as we know it in two generations because they have a 1.3 yeah. 
they have a negative birth net, rate. N- net negative yeah yeah they're net negative 0. 0.08 in above replacement you know they're below replacement in mm-hmm. i see how much money has been spent in hollywood to promulgate this notion that everybody was killing everybody all the time in our past mm-hmm. there's no there's no way that that statistically could happen because if you just take out three percent of any population within three generations it's a it, it goes away it's a wash yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. the numbers uh, like they they said what there were how many million people in the united states during the civil war and how many young men died in the civil war just to statistically it doesn't play out no um i think there was a war but it was a war over kind of remnants it was like dogs fighting over scraps. Okay. And the Civil War um, was a northern faction, which I would probably relate more to the Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, Spanish. It goes deeper than that. Italian families. Um, reclaiming what the remnants or survivors. I believe that in the early 1800s, the New Madrid event, which you know is a Missouri guy, yes. and I'm getting, I'm I'm two or three episodes away from doing Missouri, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be an amazing episode. I have so much on Missouri, but I believe the New Madrid New Madrid event was part of this war, and it was just a war over the remnants, and mm-hmm. that there was an event, um, or several, and I think I've kind of built a pretty good image of what my opinion is over these twelve episodes of Anomalous America mm-hmm. that you had. And, and coming from a man who hopefully we'll get into this, um, you know, talking about cement and different forms of construction that we were dealing with a very advanced culture. And I, I would go as far as to say that there were billions of people living in America. Wow. Me- Mexico, America, Canada, right? That whole region, mm-hmm. a billion or more. And that there was an event or several events that covered not just one civilization but several mm-hmm. and as you get, get deeper it gets more advanced mm-hmm. the the people get bigger mm-hmm. the bottom or second layer is all tropical mm. so there's no seasons the four I seasons didn't, didn't yeah the four seasons didn't exist right that was why i decided to start my series in alaska because it's you know, our most most northern territory Right. Hide some of the most insane buried cities, tombs, you name it. Mm-hmm. Alaska has under underwater pyramids, petrified boats that are twelve hundred feet long, trees that are over a thousand feet long, more gold than anywhere else in mm-hmm. America by a huge amount. Um now I've attributed this lightly to a kind of a a deluge that I, in my opinion, or at least that I'm formulating, was related to a large event. Um, Could this be the falling of giant trees? Um, Definitely something like that. Mm -hmm. I do believe that there was a vaporous canopy that surrounded the earth, Mm -hmm. and that, like yourself who spends time in the tropics, when you're in a huge forest, you can go an entire day or longer with never seeing the sun. Right. And there are tribes that don't see the sun at all, 
And when you make the trees even larger and you make the canopy even larger, mm-hmm. you know, you just scale everything up. The beans were bigger. Like I said, giants, they were, mm-hmm. they were much larger and they come in scales. You know, there was the seven to 12 feet scale. And then there was the 12 to 20 feet or 12 to 18 feet scale. And the, this correlates again with what I was saying about the civilization being buried on top of another, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, mm-hmm. but in several successive terms. And yeah, I think the civil war was the last part of the last reset. Mm-hmm. So this kind of correlates with what I said earlier about how I f- feel, you know, that there is a bit of a simulation to this, that quote Armageddon is some kind of cyclical event. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is a, a kind of, like I said, a school narrative to this whole process. And that, you know, um, we're here to learn. Of course, I said that already, but I think these resets play some kind of, there's no better word for it than reset. Right. Kicking off a new civilization with a new round of people to incarnate physical bodies right and yeah um you know since you mentioned giants especially big ones um going through these newspapers yeah you know seven footer oops but when you're dealing with 12 footers 10 footers and up to 20 feet which i've found several um that are in that size range and even bigger you know um california has some of the largest skeletons ever found in america and they're 40 50 feet yeah with with horses like horses, one, of my, <laughs> one of my favorites yeah one of my favorites is when they were um they were doing hydraulic mining in comstock california you know hydraulic mining where they literally wash away mountains with giant yeah. water hoses you've seen that yeah they find all kinds of stuff yeah. with this i mean you, you know you wash it away two three four hundred feet of a mountainside so you're going quite deep and mm-hmm. this is where they find underneath 400 feet lava flows they find whole cities and they found multiples like that in california mm-hmm. um but yeah they found giants that were 50 feet tall w- with horses yeah. one giant was buried in, under a mountain with his horse and the horse had a saddle that they said was as big as a dump cart, you know, a big dump cart. And it had, he had spurs, metal spurs still on his feet. So dude, have you seen it? So let's talk about scale here because I've always been big into scale and history. If you think about it is a way of looking at temporal scale. So I was conditioned through Hindu mythology, which it's not really Hindu, but for for lack of a better word, the Puranas and the and the Vedas, they're they're considered Hindu. But the way I was conditioned was that you go from the golden age, which is everything is big, endless abundance. Yep. And then you go to the silver age, the the bronze age, and then the iron age. Mm-hmm. Everything gets smaller in scale. Yep. yep. Well, it's just like a terrarium. Like we live yep. on terrarium preta, <laughs> terra yep. preta. So as the container bet, shrinks, we all as think. the container shrinks exactly because mm-hmm. I mean you anybody can do this experiment if you confine people to a certain area, that 
our we're an extension as above so below we become just a microcosm of our particular macrocosm mm -hmm. so i really think when you had these three mile long trees and you had all this stuff or three mile tall trees and these huge beings running around they weren't huge for their no they were tiny for their terrarium yeah it's, it's the scale is the same as what we live in now right absolutely so think about it when you pressurize a system as it's collapsing, right? As the as that system collapses, just that in and of itself would cause this cyclical, I guess you would say, like you brought up before, not the word apocalypse, but um, what was the word you used? Um, essentially, it would bring cataclysm in yes. one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm right there with Mike Wilkerson about like, you know, you would have these massive plasma storms. Yep. These plasma storms would hit what we would consider massive trees. But at that scale, yeah, it's just like we're living now. Exactly. Like ants look at us like we're we're huge. Look, those yeah, you've seen slow motion rainstorms in the forest. But when you when you shrink everything down, you watch ants in a yeah. rainstorm. It's just like the world's ending. It's like the deluge. Yeah. Yeah. It's so perspective is everything. Yeah. And and, and the golden age, like you touched on, was this era of trees. Mm -hmm. um, the whole world had a, had a singular climate. Mm -hmm. This is the megafauna, you know, the giant plants, the giant animals. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's some kind of electrical event and pressurizing the sky, losing pressure. Mm -hmm. things floating up in the air mm -hmm. is always part of these events and i think there's some kind of like um depressurization that comes mm -hmm. with these electrical events or they're one and the same and yeah you said it yourself it's like when you scale everything up of course the lightning is going to be bigger i mean when you understand mm -hmm. how lightning works especially when you look at it from a ground to earth perspective exactly that lightning in that time when you're around a tree that's that size you imagine i mean that you've seen the tentacles like when there's one large bolt that comes out of the ground there's those mm -hmm. tentacles yeah and in that's in this time frame those tentacles would be hundreds of feet tall right before there would be that strike that would just destroy mm -hmm. whatever's in its path right no different than now mm -hmm. but we're so adapted to it that to these people that wouldn't have i mean they had the same conceptual understanding and they wrote from things they wrote about things in such a mythological, metaphorical way, right? Metaphor was mm -hmm. like God's paintbrush, essentially. That was the only way language and consciousness grew was through metaphor. Mm -hmm. You know, metaphor came before poetry and art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you study consciousness all the way back, it starts there, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think the splitting of the hemispheres of the brain is directly related mm -hmm. to an event. Um, there's a writer I love called Julian Jaynes. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about this um, yeah. when with Longo. Yes. One of, I read his book when I was recovering from my motorcycle accident and it was like the aha moment for me. And quick synopsis, he basically says that there was some kind of large event, cataclysm of some kind or something like that. And it split the hemispheres of the brain. And without that, you wouldn't even have the understanding of of yourself of consciousness as i'm an independent thinking creature does that mm -hmm. make sense yes and i think that that 
analog eye didn't exist in the golden age. Because when you look at, you know, the Vedas and all these other people, they all, all these cultures talk about a golden age and Eden being kind of a similar, similar idea. Yes. And that the age of innocence was the age before we had consciousness as we know it today. Mm -hmm. So like movies like Avatar, which we talked about, play a big role in that. They show you the interconnectedness of everything. Everyone was connected to everything. Trees, mm -hmm. plants, animals, all of it. There wasn't war. And then the splitting of the brain, like the splitting of the cell or the atom or the nuclear age and radium, you know, all these things which we can get into uh, are kind of symbolized on a human scale. And that with this event and the falling of the trees and the falling of the vapor canopy, which you know, again, many of these cultures also to say that there was an age where there was no sun and no moon right? and no stars. Yes. And it was that kind of purple haze. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, something happened. I would say it was electrical, but who, you know, that could just be a part of it. It could be several things. And that, yeah, we've, this has happened more than once. Mm -hmm. And each time the scale is, the percentage change was huge. It went from, you know, like huge, mm -hmm. huge trees to like, 2000 foot trees mm -hmm. and then a thousand foot trees and mm -hmm. then you know 200 foot trees and it would make it would make sense that the fractal would do that too yeah like the golden like ratio it, type of fractal yeah exactly if you had if you if this is i i believe this is god's simulation it's not like yeah you know there's like us in computers somewhere like the matrix i i really no. feel it's, it's so an organic much, simulation it's an organic simulation god's mind we're like the little subjective uh <laughs> remote viewers for god exactly and, yeah great and, great metaphor and, and our free will is actually more tied to how we interpret what we're experiencing other than necessarily the choices we make as like physical beings it's yeah. it's more about how we choose to interpret things. That's where the the will aspect comes in. And so, what's going to happen is going to happen. If God wants something to happen, it happens. There's nothing mm -hmm. you can do. <laughs> yeah. Hence these cataclysms. And so, these cataclysms, I think, are like, in a way, just a a way of just cleaning the slate. And it's a it's a it's a physical reboot where free will can actually be experienced again. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a, it's like a hard disk drive. Yes. If you don't completely clean it, the mm -hmm. previous material will eventually corrupt the new material put on. Precisely. It. Yeah. And what I think is the parasite, the, 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 the parasite class is always trying to get from one reboot to the next reboot. With as much as they can. Yeah, they're always trying to, and that's what that's the only thing in my young life, looking at all the insanity, I was like, it's only insane to me because I don't have the whole story. And I, I kind of zoomed out with my consciousness and I was like, they're preparing for cataclysm. Like what they're doing, if if you really look at it, they could give a shit about the 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 temporal aspect, like the, what, you know, normal people, normal people like you and I do to them, that, that scale of things is so beneath them. That's like the ant class to them. 
they're actually looking at like, okay, we know cataclysm comes. Yeah. We are going to divert all of the slave energy to things that they don't know about to -hmm. try and survive so that we have the leg up the next time the, 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 the path is cleared. Yep. That's that's sort of, that's sort of the way I see it. Cause that's, I think life makes sense. I think there is a logical explanation to things in the world. And that, that makes the most sense to me that that's what's going on. The majority of the energy in the fiat systems all around the world are essentially just rerouting energy so that, so that they can go into a preparedness phase because it's, I mean, that's just an obvious, that's obvious to me. How do you, how do you see that? I agree with you. Um, and you, the, the analogy you had there with um, taking a step back and looking the big picture these people or whatever they are, that's all they're doing. Yeah. They're always big picture. Yes. And the trick is like anyone going through an enlightenment phase or a growing phase or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, switching on, you're turning, you're, you're putting on the glasses. Mm-hmm. That's you stepping away. You're seeing clearly, you mm-hmm. know, the old adage that you don't even know you have eyes until they don't work properly. Right. right. You don't even know they exist or what they're doing. And, keeping everyone narrow right the horse blinders nine to five they're fitting the cog you know and they need people that are outside the cog just as much as they need the people inside the cog you know Mm -hmm. and yeah they're always big picture and you know over the last five years or so i would say i've gone more to the they're just as much of a part of this simulation programming as we are Mm -hmm. and they're serving a purpose as much as we are Mm -hmm. and that there is a percentage of things that do need to translate or hop over and whether or not there's some evil agenda that goes along with it sure there's plenty of evil things in the world but i think that's just part of how systems balance look at nature you spend Mm -hmm. enough time in nature it's violent i love i was very obsessive with birds birds of prey especially <laughs> and um living out where i lived I, I the same time of year the vultures always started to come out you know because mm-hmm. i lived out in farmland and um i just always remember that and i was like you know the symbology of birds of prey and i was like nature is so cruel but so beautiful yeah. it's so beautifully cruel right yes and so i always look try to look at things from that perspective because mm-hmm when you can get rid of the kind of human element and see the purity in something like that, the systems of nature and how mother nature just has the cleaners and you know, there's, there's a, every little thing's figured out. Yeah. And there's brutality in it, but there's also Uh, compassion, right? Yeah. And you can't have one without the other, you know, you take a predator out of a system. There's no quicker way to kill a system than to remove a predator. So you think you're doing, you're doing the system justice by removing cruelty but that system will suffer greater yes when you remove an apex predator and that always stuck with me like okay look at these lions or whatever it is whatever part of the world you're in there will always be predators and if you look at them you're like there's such savagery there and you think part of your heart either without you know really thinking about it from like a really deep perspective i could i could save these other animals 
you know, like the hawks, but where I live, they'll kill squirrels and they'll kill cats and they're brutal out here. Yeah. And we have, we have, uh, um, we have, uh, American, we have bald eagles all over here. Yeah. And, um, you think, you know, I, I can help something. You know, we have coyotes. They've killed my cats before. Mm-hmm. I live on a golf course and we have coyotes every night. It's such a juxtaposition. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You got people hitting golf balls during the day. Yeah. And then at night, it's this is a highway for coyotes. Mm-hmm. You know, what a funny juxtaposition yeah. that is. You, know, you got people playing golf and then as soon as the sun goes down, it's just killing. Mm-hmm. And you think, you know, but once you see the beauty in it, and then that's how the, this that's how this world works. That's how this simulation or whatever you want to call it, that's part of it. Right. Because there's death and rebirth and if you can see the beauty the beauty in death, I think that's part of the releasing of fear and the bonds that you were talking about that holds so many people down. And then when you start to like question the world and see all these things, it's hard not to fixate on the evil and the negative, you know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the trick. I think everyone starts there. Yeah. Some people start in the beauty, but they rarely, you have to tread in the mud. Yes. To really, you have to get your hands dirty to really understand everything, I think. Mm -hmm. And part of that is what is that whole culture of these controllers or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. But more and more, I've learned that that's somebody I have to love just as much as I, you know, love my mailman or my wife or my kids, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I'm not going to let someone hurt my family, you know, but whatever purpose is going on, like you said, God has the, it all figured out, right? Yeah. And like I said about when leaving the body, time, you know, you realize how temporal it is. That's all physical. Mm-hmm. Time doesn't exist outside of when you go to sleep. That's just such an easy way to see it. If you can really get to a point where you can remember and kind of function in your dream state, you'll see time is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned the Vedas and all these you know, people that really invested a lot of time in those types of consciousness states. That was the first thing they said. Oh my gosh, this reality is is all an illusion. You know that's yeah. you know Maya. That's where it all comes from. You yeah. know that this is all an illusion. You still have to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the polishing of your knife. Is that is you're getting better and better every day at being in the world, right? But not of the world. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long roundabout response there. So thanks for sticking with me. But yeah. No, it's perfect. I really, just so you know where I'm coming from, I always want to know people that I respect, like you, your cosmology. Like yeah. for me, that's where when I, when I get to like the, the meta narrative that a person carries, I feel like I'm really getting to know them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little more guarded about that, you know. Um, as I've only been doing this whole video thing for a very short period of time, mm-hmm. and you know, my, you know, I shared on Twitter for over 10 years, but you know, no one knew who I was or had any concept of me as a person. I didn't share my real opinions. You know, I right. still share tons of newspaper clippings that I don't necessarily gr- agree with. I'll mm-hmm. share anything that I think is interesting. Like, wow, that was fun to read. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yes. some people take it as gospel. Like, oh, he believes this. You know what I mean? It's so amazing. I'm still amazed. Like I, cause I, the level of projection, like just the, some of the comments I'll receive and what I do is like, I will, I will host anybody's opinion as long as there's like a cordial, like a respect respect that's going on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I forget what 
famous philosopher said it, but like, if you can't listen to somebody that you disagree with, you're a child. Yeah. Like 100%. you have, like the, to be an adult is to actually be able to field opposing opinions to your own without yeah. having an emotional trigger response. Yeah. 100%. And, and it's, it's amazing to see the level of infantilization that's occurred with people where the second they hear something that challenges what they believe, they just, yeah. they have an emotional response and I know it's programming. So I have, yeah. I have compassion. I know that we've been socially engineered to do that. Yeah. But I still get shocked yeah. when, that, when that occurs. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah. if you if you're paying if like you're paying any attention to all the stuff I bring to the table, you wouldn't have an emotional trigger off of something that's so menial, you know, something that's yeah. so but it, it I, I get it. D different people have different days and have different triggers. So it, it's an amazing thing to watch. Um I yeah, want and putting myself out there and you know getting comments and all these things that come with YouTube overall, it's been incredible. I mean, the, it's been overwhelmingly positive, but right. of course you're going to get negative things. Yeah. And, but I've been dealing with that my whole life and, you know, having my, my father who, you know, when you're like challenged by your parent in, in all these situations that are incredibly negative, I think I was blessed with kind of a pretty solid continence. And it's like, like some words in a comment box, it's going to take a lot more than right. that. And mm -hmm. I, I, I try to, and I get better as time goes on, love that person. Mm -hmm. You know, the adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like when you see somebody like that, they're just calling out for help. When someone's yeah. lashing out, they just, they just, they need help. Yeah. They just want someone to love them and hold them. And, you know, they're missing things emotionally. So to get, brought down i always want to bring people up i, I never i'm never going to meet you at your level if you're being negative if you're going to come at me with positive affirmations and i'm gonna we're on the we're already on the same level mm -hmm. you know and i always make height jokes as a kind of a litmus test for mm -hmm. people's positivity you know if you can't meet me eye level then i'm having a hard time hearing you <laughs> and um <laughs> And I think that's been, it's been good for me. And I, I'm, I, I have a lot of humor in life mm. and I think that's really important. And yeah. I think it's important to get people like that, that say those things, because mm -hmm. when you're presented, when the world presents you with an opportunity to uh, make the best of that and greet that person with respect mm -hmm. and show them you care, even though they're swinging at you, you know? I think that's really important because it's ultimately for you. It, it yeah. helps you And those little things. They don't provide a lot of reward at first, but it's that it takes a lifetime type of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like raising kids. And when you have kids and you see people act like this, you're like, my four-year-old was talking to me like this, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. just you just laugh about it. So I think that's been, that's been a, uh, not difficult transition, but an interesting one, you know, mm -hmm. and I try to read all the comments, but you can't. And, um, sometimes you just have to walk away from people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So in all the, I'm looking at your page right now. If I, I, I'm sort of a Mark Twain fan. So if history doesn't repeat it and it rhymes, 
where are we at now with what you've been actually studying and going through? Where are we at in the cycle of rhyming? Like what, what do you kind of see as where we're at now and like what's on the horizon? Man, great question. I don't, you know, I don't think like that so much, I guess, you know, my wife's always said that I have, I'm really good at living in the present Mm -hmm. and I'm not so good at thinking about the future. And that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a double-edged sword. I think that's a blessing and a curse in ways, right? Yeah. When you're raising kids and you're responsible for a bunch of people, it's important to think down the road and plan. Uh, But it's also for me been, I always lived in my head. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't I, ever since I was young, I have a very powerful imagination mm-hmm. and I can click out of reality very easily. I can yeah. hear nothing, see nothing and live in my head. And, you know, that that can be troubling when you're, you know, obviously married and, mm-hmm. you know, you're in another world quite easily, regularly. Um, but, yeah, I don't think about that so much. So that's a fa- fantastic question. Um, I'm not scared. I'm super pumped on the future. Mm-hmm. Um, every day I get a little more positive about life. Everyone has bad days, of course, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you're raising kids, it's like your, your emotions are tied so, um, tightly to your partners and to your children's that you, your emotional, your swing, you're a pendulum and it's pushed by them, you know? <laughs> yes. So of course, you know, I have, I have plenty of bad days and but uh, I embrace the bad days, but, and I, I kind of look at the future as I wouldn't say blank slate because I do feel like there is a script, a narrative that we live out. And I think I, I've never heard the rhyming thing. And I thought that, I think that's fantastic because boy, that feels really, uh, really true. Um, when you think of, you know, um, cyclical harmonics, you know, the golden mm-hmm. ratio, um, rhyming and poetry just seem like that. And I think history fits that as just as much as, uh, you know, a beautiful poem. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like we're pivoting into another, um, I don't want to say story, but chapter. Right. And what that is exactly, I'm not sure. Um, I do feel like now COVID was horrible. There was lots of bad things, but I I like to see the positive in everything. You know, right. I know there's two aspects to any event, 9-11, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. There's tragedy and there's there's magnificent growth. And COVID was a perfect example. And um, I remember before COVID started, talking on um, that radio show that I mentioned earlier, we were discussing astronomy and astrology, and we were talking about um, the coming conjunction of, of Jupiter and Saturn with Venus or Pluto, I'm sorry. And I remember lightly saying, you know, Pluto brings pestilence and there's mm-hmm. bound to be some kind of outbreak. I mean, COVID started like a month later or something. Uh, that was in, that was um, December and COVID started in March. So four months later, we, COVID kicked off. And um, yeah, I think that was just the start of something. Um you know, whether or not, however people feel about vaccines or whatever, that's again, completely your opinion and you're entitled to do whatever, but the writing's been on the wall there. And, um, my oldest son, uh, suffered a vaccine injury mm-hmm. and no one's had any sense in my family. That was almost 10 years ago. Uh, the vitamin K shot, 
um, affected his organs and gave him jaundice. Mm. And it basically coagulated his blood and his liver couldn't filter his blood properly. Mm. Long story short, I educated myself Mm -hmm. and said, I want nothing to do with this, you know? And once you, once you look into things like anything in the world, right. When you look into it yourself, that's, that's the kind of the, you have to walk the path as Jesus said, right. There's so many parables with Jesus that I really feel like are incredible. And I'm sure, you know, the Vedas and there's, they're everywhere. Buddha, there's so many amazing, um, parables, but anyways, you have to walk the path and you have to figure these things out on your own. And I hope that you don't have to go through a tragedy to wake up and, and start to question things. Mm-hmm. But I think COVID was a pivot, a big, big pendulum swing. Definitely. Or at least the change of direction. And you're seeing, you know, we all have people in our lives who are, you know, a sheep or asleep or whatever you want to call them. And they're, you can tell they're not even really making conscious decisions. They're just doing what they're told by society or by the television or by their leaders or their boss or whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, what I said earlier about the glasses that you have, once you put them on, you can't take them off and you can't put them on anybody else. Mm-hmm. And when you come to peace with that and you realize, oh, I just feel bad for these people and I just want the best for them. And I hope they find their way, you know, mm-hmm. and they're kind of like zombies wandering in the dark, you know, looking for the light switch and yeah, what's to come. Boy, I, I just don't really know. I, 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 I know it's going to be positive, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I used to be so doom and gloom, you know, like, oh, they're going to reset the dollar and we're all going to be running around the streets, killing each other, you know, fighting for water. And I don't feel that way. And if that's what happens, I'm totally at peace with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have children that I have to feed and protect. And But ultimately, like I said earlier, it's. It's. um. It's it's whatever it is, is God's plan. Exactly. And I know th- I do in a sense feel like we shape this reality and that we're all kind of contributing in a sense and what we think and say builds up. And if you have enough people thinking and saying a specific thing, it's going to, ch- it can change the direction of things, right? I always use the analogy that this life is like a flowing river mm-hmm. and you can change your direction on the river. But if you turn around and try to go upstream, you're, screwed you know mm-hmm. and the, you're only going one direction and it's really just about choosing the right path mm-hmm. but you're going one way and i'm not going to fight it go ahead i can tell you want to say something well you bring up going upstream and it made me think of victor Schauberger. and i there's only one way that you can go up upstream yeah and that's by getting into that complete now that complete zone. Yeah, where a fish doesn't swim, it's swum. Exactly. However, he says it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love, I love his study on fish and how. Yeah. You know, like birds too. Birds don't fly; they're flown. Exactly. I, I love said, that. I, I used to say that to some of all my DJ friends. I'm like, I don't dance; I'm danced. Yeah. Like oh, if that's the music, fantastic. if the music is right, I'm I'm just moving. Like I can't help it. But you try yeah. and like like some shit music's playing I'm like i i can't i can't muster up any energy yeah yeah it's that zen state right yeah so i mean i i agree with you completely there i think that 
what I'm working on and what I'm trying to do to prepare the, for the future is just get my mind right. Yeah. And what I mean by that is um, trying to be as forward thinking as I can be. As, and what I mean by that is just um, not overanalyzing things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I used to do like big breakdowns on politics and, um, you know, the state of this and that and war and, I've tried to like kind of narrow my perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. and like you said earlier, it's important to to step back and look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. But I think the key is like getting as much information as fast as you can and then trying to filter that into what, okay, what am I going to do with this? You know, because it's Mm -hmm. so easy in this, in this um, niche, as far as truth or whatever community you want to call it to sit on information or to get stuck in a paradigm or, get stuck with an idea and i never want to like you know be atlas holding up some conception or can preconceived notion in that i just want to take what little bits i can as effectively and efficiently as i can and and move forward but yeah i i don't i don't really have a strong opinion of the future like i Mm -hmm. used to be really obsessed with astrology and i was always like looking to the stars for my next um, explanation of events and I just kind of I don't really do that anymore yeah and I try to live more in the presence in the present you know especially with kids because mm-hmm. I do know one of my biggest weaknesses is also one of my biggest strengths and that's um, being too mental mm-hmm. and I have realized more as I've gotten older that that is probably the biggest thing I need to work on is to be more present and less mental mm-hmm and everyone's different, of course. You know, some people are all present and no mental. Right. You know, they don't think they don't think anything through, or they don't really ponder the world or mm-hmm. any of these things. And yeah, judgment. You know, I, I don't. I try to be as less judgmental as I can and love, love my enemy. You know, I don't ever identify people as my enemy, but I hope you get what I mean by that. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I really notice. You know, when you have kids, they know when you're not paying full attention. Hundred percent. And so for me, I'm I'm like you. I have I have the tendency where I can get super mental. Like the majority of my work is designing things in your head. In my head, and then you know, 3D modeling it and doing all this stuff. And I do have practical application. I had much more practical application when I was younger, when I was more of a grunt, but now, now I'm at the level where I do design and, you know, I pass that work off to people I've trained, but the, I find with myself, like I will be thinking of what I want to talk about in the podcast and then, you know, X, Y, and Z businesses. And I'll just have all this stuff going on. And all my little girl wants is for me to toss her into pillows. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to have her at three years old my entire, like no. I only have her at three years old right now. <laughs> mm. Yep. And kids. And that's why I keep bringing kids up. And that's why I do enjoy talking with parents more and more. Yes. Because fundamentally, whether or not you want to talk about Bilderbergs or 9-11 or giant trees or cataclysms or whatever, fundamentally what I'm trying to focus on every day more is being present for my family. And like you just said, it's like, I I completely muscle memory will pull up a newspaper. I'm reading newspapers all the time. 
mm-hmm. mean, I have been for a decade. And that's like my number one hobby. And my number one hobby is always, it's always that give and take, right? Mm-hmm. And my kids always have to be on the positive end of that pendulum. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's a real um, tightrope. And yeah, once you have more and you know, you're, you're going to work on having another one, it's like it magnifies. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing you asked me about big families, me and my wife have had this talk a lot recently, you know, cause we're thinking about having our fourth. We look at, you know, her parents have eight and it, it just gets exponentially worse. The, the amount of time that they actually get from you. And I can tell you that my two-year-old just wants to look into my eyes. Sometimes he mm-hmm. doesn't even, sometimes he doesn't even want me to throw him into the pillows or kiss him and hug him. He just wants to know I'm looking at him. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that feeling. Yeah. Like when you lock eyes with your child and there's nothing comes of it, but you, everything you needed to know, you felt in, in an instant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I, I, you know, with YouTube and, and where I have so many, I'm juggling a million balls, you know, mm-hmm. and every time I'm throwing one up, it's like, I, I want to, I have to be able to have the presence of mind to grab the, the kids and mm-hmm. invest in that. Because like you just said, you know, my oldest is, is nine, nine and a half. And, um, he's humongous, you know, he's bigger than my wife. And, <laughs> and I, I just, he, he just wants to cuddle and be treated yeah, like a nine year old. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like a thirteen year old size wise, and um, you know, you look at your oldest, and you're always thinking, okay, you, you're always improving yourself with anything, like you and building these structures you build, or mm-hmm. when you plant plants, you're gonna get better every time you do it. Kids are no different, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm only three in, and I look at my third, and I'm I actually am far more diligent, far more invested in the little things, you know, noticing the eye contact and and um. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is that I'm always thinking what I need to work on and how I can be, you know, not only a better businessman, you know, better presenter, but predominantly, you know, my wife has been amazingly supportive with this YouTube stuff because it's a lot of time, you know? Yes, it is. It's only been a few months and I've put a lot of time into it mm-hmm. a lot. And um, yeah. So no matter what you're giving up something to get something, you know, and you want to be sure, like you said, that when they're 20 years old, because I can tell you how many people at church are like all the time, especially men. They're like, they, they grow up so fast. Yeah. Like I'm telling you that's, if I had to like, if I could sit down and have pe- men be really honest with me, they would say I, I would invested less in my job and buying dumb shit and spent more time with my kids, you know? Yeah. I, I, I ask a lot of elders that and they all say that. And they also say, take more chances. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't let society tell you what to do with your life mm-hmm. and spend more time with your kids. I think those yeah. are like my top two, like don't work for someone. Don't fall into the nine to five just because that's what society makes you feel like you need to do. Mm-hmm. And when you start having kids, try to be holding them and loving them and kissing them and interacting with them as much as you can. So the only reason why I started my podcast back up again, because I had a podcast in 2014 and 2015. And 
I wasn't that good at it. I mean, I, I've always been good at like talking to people, yeah. but I, I didn't know how to market it or anything like that. I kind of saw that podcasting was going to be the wave of the future. But um, the reason why I got back into it is my whole context for the podcast is to build a curriculum for my daughter and, and the, the little ones. Yeah. So I'm actually building a database of information from each podcast with all the different reference materials of what we actually speak about. Yeah. Because I want to give a coherent uh, historical and a coherent, I guess you would say scientific. I don't like the term metaphysics. I like the term uh, uh, meta energetics, like give a meta energetics view of the world to my daughter and like her peers so that they don't have to sift through so much BS, you know, yeah. they don't have to sift through so many lies. Mm hmm. And uh, that's why I find your work so amazing is because pretty much everything that you're bringing up is contrarian to the BS that we've been fed the last 40 years. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I think the, so. The, the narratives that the whitewashing of how rich the U.S. history has been yeah. is, is like, I mean... I, I hear some like when I go see my parents and they're listening to CNN and they give this contrite little description of of whatever is going on. And I'm like, I do not. Well, the better way I should say this, I should say this in a positive way. I want to give the little ones. A. A navigational tool from somebody that actually cares about them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. I've actually thought about, uh, funny you say that, because my my nine-year-old really likes a lot of these newspaper articles, you know, naturally. Yeah. He's interested. So I've thought about actually doing a children's-themed YouTube channel that's based around, you know, uh, kind of like Indiana Jones, but, yes. for little, but for little kids. Yeah. So that's actually funny you mentioned that because yeah, that's kind of something I've thought about too. I think that it really appeals to to uh the younger generation, you know, and their access to technology has made them far more advanced than we were in in ways, but it has also retarded them in ways too and slowed their progress down a lot. And there's just more distractions. Yeah. You know, like you said, you look at our grandparents, they were they were digging in the soil and you know, even for me, you know, I'm right on that cusp of of Game Boys and Nintendos and and TVs in the in every room, and I still look at my summers riding my bike and digging in the dirt and being outside all day. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, very romantically, right? And that's like out the window now. And um, I mean, not all, not completely, but you get what I'm saying. But yeah, I think obviously thinking that the children are your future ties in with what I was mentioning earlier about. Mm -hmm. Uh, what well, you said that some that, that you can just feel I can feel when my kids are looking at me yeah. and they just want me to look at them. Yeah. And there's something about eye contact. You know, mm -hmm. I can tell a lot about a person the first time I looked them in the eye, mm -hmm. you know, as a, you know, people say empath or whatever. But, yeah, I think a lot of people are that way. They just have gold that sense. Yes. Definitely. Over the years of, of ignoring their intuition. And uh, I think kids can do it with anybody. Yeah. I think kids are like 
unfiltered, complete understanding how you represent yourself. Maybe you think in a secretive way to adults and the adults may not see it. Children see right through it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, again, so many fantastic philosophers, you know, that we can look back on through history always say that if you can look through the lens of a child, that you're going to see the world, you're going to see all the beauty and that the conditioning that we've been discussing throughout this whole talk, it, it disconnects you Mm -hmm. from that uh, beauty. And it's like that cyclical, the Ouroboros, the snake eating his tail. And this life is about you breaking that cycle, mm-hmm. right? You reincarnate until you break the cycle mm-hmm. and you realize, you know, the simplicity, the beauty in this simplicity, kind of mm-hmm. like I was telling you about seeing the beauty in, um, you know, the predator, predator class of nature mm-hmm. and, or the worms or the insects or whatever your, your flavor may be. But when you could see nature for what it is, it makes it so much easier to interact with humans it's like it becomes way easier to interact yes. with people and especially their emotional you know swings and yeah like i've always said not always but i would say when i had the epiphany it's it's just been cemented more and more is that s- spontaneity like being completely spontaneous and like i always notice that as an athlete or as an artist when I'm in the zone, I'm perfectly spontaneous. Yeah. And in that, I'm a that flow I'm just, state, like you said, going upstream. Yeah. I'm just a conduit for God at yep, that point. 100%. Yeah. And so that's something that can never be predicted. That's something that no algorithm can ever figure that out. That, yeah. That, the whole AI thing is, is <laughs> silly, you know? Because it's not gonna if it's not connected to God, it's doesn't it's not it's yeah. not living. Exactly. It's like well, the tree, it's like the avatar thing with the tree. That was uh, kind of how they said if you can't uh, connect to this tree, you have no idea. You're you're completely foreign. Yeah. Yeah. You can't teach somebody to see at, nope. at that point. Nope. And so this this river of life is here in the now, like it is in the now and that to, to have the, the capacity in the, I guess you would say the intention to consistently be present. I find that like I've geared my life to kind of be in the Milu or the, 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 be the, um, I guess you would say the function that brings me into that the most. Yeah. Because I really, I I really think the flow state is telling you like you as a subjective secondary aspect of the creator that this flow state is actually telling you that that's where you should be. That's what, that's what you should be doing. And, you know, like you said, I've never been more present like without trying to think without doing meditation without all the bs of the eastern world the the automatic presence of actually just being with my my little girl or being in that family moment where the energy comes up in the the heart and it's that um to me it's a humbling love you know like you oh yeah before you have kids you have love the weak weak in the knees yeah yeah like have- that doesn't even 
I mean, I, again, when you meet your partner and you have that moment, you know, not everyone does, but you have that moment, like, you know, this is the person that you're supposed to be with. You know, I remember that moment and it's a similar feeling, but it's, it's your children. It's nothing can explain it until you've been there. Right. There's no feeling like it and flow state and all these things, they get really close Mm -hmm. to feeling as purely organic and natural and one with whatever God or everything, the, the all. But the the children thing is like, that's like the best conduit. Because for me, I feel that all the time. Mm-hmm. When you're with your kids and you're having good, good moments and, and you're not like, you're not, you're not even in your head when you're playing with your kids. You're mm-hmm. like that. You're not thinking about anything. Mm-hmm. Occasionally you'll think about their safety. Like, oh, oh, well, you know, you're like trying to be careful or cautious or whatever, but it's so organic and natural. And yeah, that's really hard to do. It's kind of like what I said earlier about, you know, the Jesus uh, metaphor, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. It's like, right. it is a narrow path. It's mm-hmm. so narrow. You can just be obsessively in your mind or you can be too much in um, the present. Mm-hmm. And and if you do either, something's going to suffer and there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, you're always walking that tightrope between business and career and developing those parts of your life. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the home life and, Mm-hmm. it's a funny thing it's like it like i said about you know raising land and animals and stuff it's like it's very romantic you know mm-hmm. and part of you thinks okay like technology and all these things it's like really accelerating the world into a better place in some cases not always but part of me is always really desired to just live in the woods and you know i know i couldn't do that forever of course mm-hmm. but it's a, it when you can see those those markers and you doing this kind of university collection of information i think is really great it's kind of like a akashic record you know with your own little spin on it yeah and uh, that's kind of where the archivist thing came from for me yeah was i felt like i wanted to build a library of my uh, seeing the newspaper or history through my lens that when you come on my YouTube channel, you're kind of putting on my glasses and you're having a streamlined view. You don't have to filter through 20 million different newspapers. You know, if you've already found my channel, there's something that you like about the material I've presented, whether it's with people I've talked with or whatever. And it sounds very similar to what you're doing. I think that's great. I think that's a good, that's like the artistic thing, like you said about flow state is that, I have found some really beautiful peace in being a creator instead of like a consumer. Right. You know what I mean? And I've consumed so much information through all this stuff that God naturally wants you to create something with what you've consumed, not just like hoard it and do nothing with it. Does that make sense? Uh, it definitely does. And what I've noticed is as you create, there's actually an induction current where you can receive more. Yeah. And and you said the flow state. I I've been there with with new th- newspapers. Like there's times where like I can't find anything worth reading, mm-hmm. and then then all of a sudden it's just like, boom 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 boom, and I have like a hundred topics that I want to focus on more and 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 make more material on and discuss more and present more. You know what I mean? Yes. So it exists in everything that state of mind, and yes. if you fight it, you're gonna have the harder time getting into it. You know, an artist mm-hmm. will always say, you know the muse is like everyone has their different muse 
but mm -hmm. identifying what that is to keep you in that flow state as often as possible is really important. And finding yeah. something you love to do is is the trick. Yeah, I've I, I found definitely two muses that I that I interact with very very frequently with. Yeah, and um, it they never fail. <laughs> they they always work for me. They, they, it always pans out, and it's very odd. But one of them's efficiency. So efficiency and innovation, those two. Whenever I'm being in in the presence of efficiency or innovation, I I light up. I, there's always extra energy there. There's always more that can happen. Because I look at love as like, I always know when the presence of love is there because there's always more energy. Yeah. And that's why I say to expecting parents is like, you'll just have more energy because they, because you love your little one. Yeah. And when you you're love, like, how am I going to do it? And guess what? You do it. You do it. Yeah. It, it happens because it's just like, that's that's what's necessary and the love just gives you the energy to make whatever needs to happen happen yeah and so i know this is an endless abundant realm that we're in because of that yeah but i mean that's so obvious to me and like with jesus talking about you're in this world and not of it and then when he talks about the you know if if god provides for the worms and the in the birds do you not think he's going to provide for you yeah, yeah. It's just and when like, you when you're scared, that all fear is is you losing grasp of God. That's all it is. That's all it is. I yeah. I'm in a hundred percent agreement. Well, I have a a date night coming up because it's it's almost seven o'clock here. I feel like this particular discussion that we had was perfect because my audience gets to know you as, as you, I think the next time uh, we come on together, we'll actually get more into the body of your work. Sounds um, great. Yeah. I was, I, I didn't want to keep, I didn't want to say, Hey, let's talk about material because time's getting short, but yeah, <laughs> I would love to do it again. And then, yeah, we can, you can just pick and choose things off of my YouTube channel. Yeah. And we can talk about them, you know, yeah. specific topics or whatever, but, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I totally want to jam on all this, but the, the feeling, the, the, the overall envelope of this discussion feels like it was just getting to know each other essentially. So yeah. that's really awesome. My man, uh, where can find, I have, I'll put all your YouTube stuff up. Are there any other places where people can find your work? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I don't post on Instagram very much. But I mean, there's over 10,000 posts on Twitter and, you know, has Twitter been a good utility for you? Um, good enough. YouTube is much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good enough. I mean, it, I, I'm pivoting away from it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I put most of my energy into YouTube. I okay. enjoy the video format and for the amount of time I would put into posting things on Twitter it's similar in the amount of time invested but mm -hmm. i get far more response far more interaction on youtube than i do on any of those platforms okay. but my 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 handle or tag or whatever is the same for all instagram youtube mm -hmm. and insta uh twitter 
they're all the same one underscore analog underscore nine so they can find me on all three of those platforms with that and yeah uh can't wait for uh round two and we can really dig into some of uh the subject matter we lightly touched on awesome my man well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it yeah thank you so much have a great night enjoy day night buddy yeah i will enjoy your weekend After that interview, I know my heart is completely open. Uh, I, I hope you got to get to know Analog. Check out his work on YouTube, The Archivist. He has this uh, Anomalous America series uh, that is, it's just amazing. I can't wait till he does Missouri. I think he's on Missouri in like a couple of weeks. And uh, now that I'm here and I'm getting to know the area and, and seeing uh, some very interesting plasma in the sky, I'm uh, very interested to see what he's able to catalog. Uh, Ben's work is building, it, it, it's just dovetailing so nicely with so many of the other guests that we've had on. Uh, Longuito and I are going to go ahead and do another cast very soon here with some of the current information that he is coming across. And depending on when we post this, I will have had um, Steve Falconer on. So Steve Falconer, um, he's an incredible archivist, but much more like Eurocentric, um, not just Eurocentric, like the Americas also, but his, his work of Space Busters um, has so much information dealing with more the context of the entire plane of existence, not just uh, North America. So um, yeah, this information is 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 building. I hope you get to see the theme that's occurring. Um, Moshe and Cesar and I are working in the background trying to get a resonant circuit together for our mojo. Uh, the mojo cell which is an oregon accumulator we got the domes that are going to start to go up in costa rica again i got my yin yang dome got approved um so it looks like we're going to probably break ground early this year i'm continuing to do the celestics now um now that i'm like <laughs> not having so many travel anomalies i might as well tell you guys now i literally had a month of travel that I did not foresee happening. And in that month of travel, it really messed up my schedule. And uh, I'm just now like, if you know, if you, everything is momentum and the momentum that I was gaining in Missouri got truncated and then I had to redistribute and adapt. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm back on track now. It started making all the rocket retorts I'm going to start as soon as I get a cut, like I need like two more things. I'm going to start making more biochar and uh, we're going to have a lot of um, biochar available at the Baritaria Times Festival by and I just got approval. I'm actually going to be speaking at the Baritaria Times Festival like I did last year. Um, I think I'm going to get into uh, biochar actually. I'm going to talk about biochar, uh, diamagnetic uh, surfaces, paramagnetic uh, materials. I shouldn't say surfaces. Diamagnetic and paramagnetic uh, materials and what that does 
for the soils in the ground. It's very exciting for me. I'm, um, and by the way, everybody, I just want to, full disclosure, I, even though my last name's Gardner, I'm actually not that good at it. <laughs> so um, I've been doing all this soil stuff, but I'm still not, I, uh, I'm not all that relative to the Ozarks just yet. It takes me a while. I'm, I'm pretty slow moving. But uh, this year, our entire garden got eaten by deer. So hopefully I will be able to bag a couple of deer in exchange for them eating my garden. I think I only have two tomato plants and I think like six strawberry <laughs> plants left. Um, none of my raspberries took. They've, they've been eating all the wild blackberry. I still have pears, uh, so a couple pears at least, that's good. Uh, but none of my greens made it. I think I have like one or two herbs. None of my peppers, all the cucumber got eaten. So <laughs> I have to get much better. Um, uh, Curtis Stone, he went ahead and recommended the type of greenhouse that I will install next year and get all this stuff under roof. And um, yeah, we'll have all the water systems in by then too. So with a little bit of protection with some good soil and some good water next year's uh, bounty should be much better thank you for joining us as always um, i appreciate contributions whenever that can occur i understand uh, you know life is a reciprocal circuit you give attention to what it is that you like and appreciate and your life gets better and this podcast isn't just for data extraction it's to actually live the information live the knowledge so it is it becomes wisdom in your life so hopefully you're enjoying everything and i look forward to seeing you next week you ought to know well now you you ought to know You ought to know by now